Are you ready to take the next step in your multifamily investing career? The time has never been better than now. Think Multifamily's Deal Analysis Workshop is a comprehensive live training course that will help increase your skills, knowledge, confidence as an investor before you invest. This workshop is a unique experience that provides hands-on instruction and guidance directly from Mark Kinney, who has completed over 100 multifamily syndications valued at over $1 billion. This course goes beyond theory as you will be presented with real case studies and practice scenarios to work out in class. By the end of the training, you will have significantly improved your ability to evaluate deals quickly, make informed decisions, and take your investing skills to the next level with confidence. For more information and to register for Think Multifamily's Deal Analysis Workshop, go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash D-A-W, use code Whitney100 to save $100. The Deal Analysis Workshop is designed for both beginner and experienced investors. Whether you are looking for a foundational understanding of how to analyze multifamily investments or looking for fresh insight on how to pivot your analysis method, for this current market cycle, this is a workshop you have been looking for. Register today at thinkmultifamily.com forward slash DAW. Use code Whitney100 to save $100. The particular term here that I'm using is heavy value add. So, there, okay. so you're going to have the value add, which is going to be that 20%, kind of that common status quo stuff. And then you're going to have the heavy value add lifter. And what, what makes us different in that respect also is that from a financial lending component, a lot of debt lenders, they're really not looking to jump over that 20, 25% over door price. Welcome back to the Real Estate Syndication Show with Whitney Sewell. Hey, wait a second. I'm not Whitney Sewell, but Whitney Sewell is a dear friend. Love him dearly. My name happens to be Josh McCallan. And as a friend and passionate member of the Real Estate Syndication Show, Whitney and I collaborated and I get to be honored to be part of the team and bring you a few guest appearance show hosts. So thank you, Whitney, and thank you, the Real Estate Syndication community. So in earlier episodes, we met Stephen Gessis, and we started to understand the journey from single family to single family scattered to vertical integration of a big management company of scattered single family all the way to the ultimate destination we've come to find is multifamily. So Smartland, which Stephen is a partner in, has a lot to teach us. So we invited you back to do a masterclass on a key question, Stephen. So welcome back to the big show. Thanks. Good to be back. Stephen, we left off getting to know you a couple days ago, understanding your great journey, your Ukrainian background, coming into this country as an immigrant. Why don't we start there before we answer the value add question? Because we're going to answer the pressing question. Why do value add? Why do they perform well? Why do you do it? And why does it perform well? Ukraine, you came here. Did you speak English as well as you do now when you got here? I mean, you are incredibly gifted, multilingual dude. No English. No, no, no. I learned English off of uh, Nick at Night. Off of uh, Well, you did. So, no wonder your English is so great. It was before we messed it all up. Nick at Night's the 50s shows and 60s shows. Yeah, taxi, all that stuff. And what about Wilbur, the talking horse, maybe? I think maybe you learned about that. Yeah. So it turns out there's not actually a talking horse. I know that was a surprise to many of us watchers. But let's go to, they say it was peanut butter. Let's go to the key question about value add. You know, it's a term that's thrown around. Why don't you define what you mean by value add? 
and what components you believe put the most value into a property? All right. Yeah, that's a loaded question. So, you know, that you make a great point because value add, it's used very broadly. You're very correct. And so some folks value add, it's maybe like 20% of the purchase door price or something, you know, or 30%. In a lot of cases, value add for us is actually like 50%, in some cases, 60%, which makes it different because when we're talking about value add, we're talking about doing a much deeper dive. We're talking about the suite upgrades with new kitchens and new flooring and, you know, new trim work and new doors and a technology package that will include USB outlets and they'll include an Alexa. And now our new tech packages include TVs and we would have an a la carte tech package. So it definitely has progressed. But when we talk about value add, we definitely talk about you know, the bathroom, the full suite, the common areas, the lighting package and the commercial common spaces. Then we're also talking about upgrading the common space and giving some sort of new amenities to residents, which may include like pickleball courts or it may include a pet park or electric car charging stations, which is actually much more common that we're doing at, at a lot of our properties. And we've been doing that for now probably three or four years when, when everybody said, you know, who's going to be the car that's going to park at your building and, oh, look where you're at and you're in this tertiary or secondary right. space. And that gets back to value add, right? So our value add look is that we're looking at it from a holistic and complete turnaround of an apartment. So some guys say value add, it's just going to be the common areas, the carpets, the lights, the signage. No, no, no. We're going to go, we're going the full gauntlet here. So full gauntlet, let's go back to the math you said at the beginning. You said sometimes it's just a small percentage of the value of the of the unit. You're saying for you guys, it's sometimes is 50%. So do you mean you bought a $50,000 unit when you make out the math of 100 units and you're going to spend 50000 per unit? Is that what you meant by that? No, no, we're going to buy it for $50,000 per door per unit. We may spend $25,000, $30,000. Okay, that's what I meant. You're going to spend $25,000 on a $50,000 unit. That is substantial. substantial. And it does set you apart, in my understanding, of the communities of value-add investors. That's correct. So we'd be considered a heavy value-add lifter, right? So the, the particular term here that I'm using is heavy value-add. So there's okay. So you're going to have the value add, which is going to be that 20% kind of that common status quo stuff. And then you're going to have the heavy value add lifter. And what, what makes us different in that respect also is that from a financial lending component, a lot of debt lenders, they're really not looking to jump over that 20, 25% over door price. So you do getting back to kind of the previous episode where I said, you know, you have to consider that the entry barrier into multifamily is quite high simply because you have to have a closing track record with some sort of brokerage and you have to develop that over a period of time. And so the same applies here with banking. You have to develop both. And so you can't just go in one without the other. So you have to have banking that's going to also get and support you to do that heavy value add, right? Because common status quo is going to be 20% over door price. And everybody's comfortable in banking with that. So you have to have all the right components in place. And that's what I was saying earlier is that it takes time to develop. So I think our listeners, some of them are so sophisticated, have thousands of doors. And so they're listening to this and saying, you know, our model is the normal 20% model. Let's talk about 
some real answers, real detailed specifics. You've been really great on telling us about how much you're willing to invest. There must be an indicator in your mind, in your research that says this one's worth it. It's not just that it's a beat up building. There's a lot of destroyed buildings that you could easily spend 50% on. You're saying we're willing to buy this one because we saw this statistic. What makes you say this one is worth 50% investment? Honestly, Josh, it's a great question because some of it really just has to do with our discipline underwriting. So it's not necessarily like we're picking this. I think I said earlier, you know, we'll look at 500 deals in a year. And part of it, what we really have to focus in on buying, there's a lot of things that have to go right. So it's not only area. We do focus in on secondary and tertiary submarkets. We are looking for a hundred plus. So actually, you know, it does slowly begin to whittle down. Opportunities are not as robust. The other thing is that, you know, a lot of folks, they have to be prepared to sell. And as a buyer, we have to maintain our discipline in, in regards to what our investors are looking for as a return. And so the way that we hunt as what you're asking me, has to be very particular. And so some of the accommodations, it's not necessarily areas. A lot of people will say, hey, that area sucks. Well, what we do is unique from the heavy value add. So yes, we're always location, location, location matters, sure. But we're also doing a very, very large transition of an asset. And so when we're doing that, we're looking at, you know, currently we're going to be probably taking it to a new market rate rent. It's probably we're buying it below market rate rent. It may be in that tertiary submarket, but we're only having to replace 100 or 150 residents that are prepared to pay slightly more to live in the best of the best in that submarket. Right. Okay. And so so we're a market maker anywhere we're going. So for us, a lot of things that have to align is not only price. It has to have the capacity to be able to do the uplift, then get the appraisal value on the backside, right? So, I mean, there's got to be a lot of, it's not just one or two or three. I mean, when you're asking me, how do we hunt? You know, there's a hundred components that go into this hunt. And so do we have to hit a hundred checkboxes? No, but you know, we're probably hitting 90, 95 of those checkboxes on that checklist. And so some of it is driven by location, price, opportunity, all those things have to collide, right? So seller has to be willing to accept what we're willing to pay for it. We have to be willing to kind of come to terms with that. Banking, as you saw banking, that's ebbs and flows occur. The last few years have been really simple banking. You know, now we've entered into a more complicated yep. banking environment. So the way that you're looking at deals and the way that we're hunting for deals will slightly change. But in the same respect, we stick to a simple discipline, right? We're looking to do a heavy value add. We want to be proud of what we do. Unfortunately, we're not very good at the status quo, just coming in, doing the bare bones, the signage and doing the common areas. Can we do it? Sure. It's just not who we are as an operator. And there's a lot of operators that are very good at that. And we don't knock that business. You know, a lot of things that we purchase are also coming off of generational ownership. You know, so generational portfolios, we operate in the Midwest. So we're out of Cleveland, we're out of Akron, we're out of Canton, we're out of Columbus, Ohio. We also have a few assets out of South Florida. So we have an office out of Brickell, our main headquarters out of Miami. We set that up about a year and a half ago. But in the Midwest market, we're shopping for forced appreciation through that value add, doing that heavy lift. Yep. And so it's a heavy value add. And it's a forced appreciation, right? So we're building a lot of appreciation because we have the cash flow in Midwest. 
in that Sun Belt region, you're getting a lot of appreciation, a little bit of less cash flow, right? So, so you do have to trade in some areas. And so how you hunt and what you hunt for, for us, what stimulates our hunt is really a lot driven by what our investor partners are looking for. We offer a pretty large return. And so not only do we have to be disciplined on what we buy, but we have to meet those return hurdles. And so, yes, I'm sorry I didn't have the best direct answer, but there's so many hunting parameters. All right. Well, we love how experienced you are. So for the listeners, we're going to use this as another kind of deep dive here for a moment. Well, let's run through, try to grab a, a case study in your mind, if you don't mind, like, oh, ABC Main Street or 123 Main Street, I should say. Perhaps even use one if you could, because we'll run through the key questions. So can you think of one really good property that you can help us understand the breakdown? Would you mind grabbing one? In? Of course, yeah. Which one would it be? What one so, can I ask you a few specific questions about? Yeah, how about, how about this? So we bought a 112-unit tower three years ago. Uh, right now, it'd probably be about four years ago. How big was it again? Say that one more. 112-unit tower, seven stories. Wow, that's big, yeah. That was a good-sized tower. Seven stories, wow. So we went, we bought it and we've already gone through the full cycle. So we've, we bought it, we renovated it and we refinanced it. And you kept it or did you liquidate it? No, we kept it. We kept okay. So th- this is great. Let's start there. Yeah. All right. We're going to tick off a bunch of quick questions. This will be yeah, a rapid great. turnaround round. So there was a day when you found it. Can you just say broker or off market? This one was an, through a broker, an off market deal. But through a broker. Got it. Through a broker, yeah. Through a broker, brought it to you guys. What was the bid process like? Was it competitive or did they just start negotiating with you? It was not very competitive. We kind of had a number in place. So this was 2018, different multifamily market then, 2008, 2017, 2018. And so, yeah, we paid then, I may be getting ahead of you. I think we were paying about $28,000 a door. Good job. So, okay. So broker brought it to you because they had known your reputation, I'm assuming. It hit your criteria. Seven stories is surprising. A lot of people love garden apartments. Was this an anomaly for you to buy something that many stories? Yeah, it was our I, first tower. Okay, okay. So the hunt here was it was handed to you. It it ticked off your criteria. Because you bought it at a low basis of 28000 what did you believe it would be worth after you did your heavy value add in your pro forma? I think we had it pegged at 56 Per unit for my dumb Yeah, I think here. it was around maybe $50,000 a door. Okay, so you thought you could double it, basically. That was where your head was, right? Yep. So you then said, we're going to invest. What was your ratio to invest? What were you willing to invest per so room? Then? We were putting a million dollars, I remember, into that building. So 10K a room. A million dollars, yep. About 10K a room. So to get to there, you thought, oh, well, plus 10K equals 38K. The difference will be 50K. And then what? How and did it go? Gonna, and then we're going to see if we can sell it. Oh, you were going to this. So you you were going to liquidate. Yep. Okay, perfect. That's your business plan. I love it. So you're going to sell it. Now, here's where it gets interesting for us professionals out there. You had to get somebody to give you some debt, right? Or did you buy it all cash? No, no, we got debt. No, no, we got debt from a regular lender. Yep. Regular non-bridge. Yeah. No, no, no. We got a bridge. No, we got a bridge loan. It was a two-year interest only loan. With a three-year principal and interest behind it. Good. It was a five-year total term loan. Good. And I don't remember what the going interest rate was, but that was 2018. So it was maybe around five, 5.6, something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's very reasonable for construction yeah, projects. around there. And so we had 
it was really simple. Then it was 20% down. It was a bridge loan. And so we needed another million for the construction. So the yep. loan came with the construction and then we were off to the races. So you needed a million dollars from private you investors. You needed a million dollars. Okay. Did you do this with friends and family or did you do the traditional syndication or did you do crowdfunding, the, the other model? No, no, no. We actually, we did a small syndication. It was a 506B. Yep. Friends and family. Not You're not going to market it on the internet at that time. Got it. Yep. And we had 30, 20, 27 investors that came in. Okay, great. So nobody had to put too much up. You kept Our it small. Our lead investor, I think, had $100,000 in it. Great. That's nice. So they sat there and said, we totally believe because your track record is going to work and it did work. But let's talk about what you said would happen for their money at that time. So your original performance looked like what for them and how long yeah. did they have it out? So we were, I think I just sent somebody a summary on this. So our original pro forma, we were planning on paying, I think it was 8% preferred return yep. on the money plus it was an 80 20 waterfall to like 16 and then it went to 2080 and then we put a kicker in we said if we don't sell it and if we're going to refinance it we're going to leave 20% of the equity get all the principal back to all the investors plus any accrued you know interest owed right. and if we get to refinance it and keep it the deal was that we'd leave 20% of the equity for the investor pool and meaning you'd keep it in the business or what did you mean by that yeah. So Josh would get all his money back, for example, right? You got all your principal back. You got all your interest. That's it. We're not just shaking hands and walking away from one another. We left 20% of the equity for the entire investment. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah. And so they keep a 20% interest in the property indefinitely. And they get that's the awesome. cash flow, share of losses, share of gains, all of that. So fast forward, now you kept it. Yep. You could have sold it. But what did it end up valuing at? And then therefore, what did it end up financing at before when you made that decision to hold on? So that property did really well. We ended up getting an appraisal at about $64,000 a door. Nice. At about 2.75 years into it. So nice. shy of three years. And so we cashed out all the investors with their principal. We did a refinance through a Freddie Mac small balance product. So we put a 30-year fixed note on it. I think it was right around 3%. God bless you. So you'll never, you'll never sell that one. You don't need to. You don't need to. So, okay. So that's still how that one sits. Yeah. If I had been an investor, I would have been recapitalized and I would have earned my yield while you had my money. And now I still get something every year. That's correct. All right. And when you were doing all that work, year one or year zero, some people call it, did I get a distribution that year or did I need to wait until you got it up and running, stabilized? I'm trying to remember a lot of our, they kind of vary. So some deals, I think that one started paying right away at quarterly distribution after the first quarter, after the first six months. Because you didn't actually, you had high occupancy and you, you were going one room at a time or how the execution plan didn't need to be kind of shut down or anything? Interesting question. So a lot of banks actually put covenants on this process. And so if you're doing a very heavy value add, they don't want you to, you know, kind of chop your head off and go to zero occupancy. So right. most of the times when we're buying a, a heavy value add property, it may have 80 or 90% occupancy at the time. And so they'll let us do only 20 or 30 unit tranches of units at a time. At a time. So it is a pretty controlled process. 
plus there's a timing. And so that's one thing I think that really sets us apart. It's a big differentiator is the complexity and the logistics of maneuvering through a property. So that is awesome that you can do that. So take a, while we have you here for a few more minutes, we'll wrap up here. The smart land company, how do you design your company? Well, how would you describe Smartland and what is your core operating promise to investors and, and, and operators? Like, what is Smartland to you? Yeah. So, look, we're entrepreneurs. And so, what we believe is that we see a lot of things that others simply don't. And what's status quo, you know, we're not a part of that. We're willing to do that extra legwork. You know, we have to put that extra heavy value add. We don't have this generational accommodation. And so what we're having to do is set the generation forward as we look down towards the future. And so a lot of our investors, they may be doctors, attorneys, professionals within their own particular fields, and they've worked extremely hard. And to build that ability to become an accredited investor, to be able to be at that platform to participate. And so our promise is that we don't sleep at night. Our assurance is that investors always come first. And so for us, everybody's on that same wealth building journey. We're on it together. And so it's critical that we really stay disciplined. And if we look at ourselves as a holistic business, that's why we work so hard in in maintaining kind of this ecosystem internally for acquisition, for marketing, for leasing, for maintenance. We want to have the pulse on it because they are big ships. And so we want to command that ship to the best of its you know, efficiency. And to do that requires being in the business, requiring to be present, boots on the ground. And you know, we have that same demand and, and we look at and we require that from all of our staff as part of our wealth building journey. And as we look forward to our generations that are coming forward in front of us, or did not come in front of us, I should say, and, and equally how our, our investor partners have it. One of the critical elements for us is that, again, as I said, moving all in that same direction, but most importantly is that we're doing it for the right reasons, right? But you're beautiful. That's beautiful. We have to keep our investors front of mind. But do you you have internal construction management or do you outsource that? No, no, no. We have our own internal construction. So you'll acquire it with partners, then you'll operate it as a management company, and then Smartland will also do the construction management. And do you, they're all called Smartland or are they called different businesses? No, they're all predominantly smart land. We have a few affiliate groups. We have to have an affiliate disclosure for all banking and then on all PMs, of course. Yes, yes. And then it's the way to keep max control. Pricing is difficult. Logistics are tough. They're moving parts. (laughs) There's a lot going on in this ballet. I'll tell you what, Stephen, it's been great getting to know you. I want to get you back on in another episode so that we can ask you the best value add choices going forward that the things maybe the top four or five best value add decisions for an investor like you so we'll be back in another episode and we'll dig in deep thank you so much for everything you're doing thank you for having me again thank you for being with us again today i hope that you have learned a lot from the show don't forget to like and subscribe i hope you're telling your friends about the real estate syndication show and how they can also build wealth in real estate You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today. 